go home now. It's been a long time since I heard that song. Well, I guess we're gathered here this morning for a reason, right? It's almost Christmas, huh? To worship our Lord and... uh, course, a special morning, but one thing that makes it special is we have a man here who has a new heart. Gary, will you stand up? Gary, we'll... He's being bashful and he won't stand up, but... We do thank doctors, and we also, I don't know who the person was, but someone gave their life so Gary could continue living, and we're thankful for that, and I'm sure we want to pray for that family. Well, it is the season to send Christmas cards, and uh, there's a man by the name of Bob, and he sent his friend a kind of cryptic Christmas card. It simply read, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. H-I-J-K-M-N-O-P, Q-R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z. That's all it read. And Bob's friend looked at it for several weeks, couldn't figure it out. He finally gave up and he sent his Bob a little note and said, I give up. Will you give me the explanation for the Christmas card? And Bob sent his friend a postcard that simply read, no L. Get, get it? No, 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 no L. Look, you try to find a Christmas joke that's clean. All right. Now that we got that over with. This morning we are going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to see that Jesus Christ has given the believer a great gift. And so I entitled the message this morning, A Great Gift. Lord, I do thank you for humor, and I thank you for all that has transpired up to this point. And, but now, Lord, as we just turn to the word, we're coming because we want life. We've come to experience you, Lord. And so I pray through your word that many will be set free. I thank you there should be great joy in the house, and I pray that that will come across also because... This is a season of joy, and we're going to see Jesus brings joy. So I'm thankful for what you're going to do here now in this next several minutes, and I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I pray that you give each of us soft hearts to receive and ears to hear, because your word can bring life in a way many of us have maybe never thought. And so I'm just thankful for what you're going to do now, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Skip, can you play the video? My mama told me something when I was growing up that has forever changed my life. She played the piano at our little church at 3rd and Pine Street for 37 years. She tried to teach me to play the piano, (laughs) but I wasn't very good. She would teach me the names of the notes, what a major key is, what a minor key is. She tried to teach me musical theory, but I was just bored. Then, one day... She told me that the best news in the world is found by playing a simple scale on the piano. I had no idea what she meant, 
so she told me to play an eight-note scale. So I did. I said, how is that good news? And she said, I played it incorrectly and that I needed to play it the other way. So I did. Again, I said, how is that good news? And she said, I played it the right way, but I needed to add the pauses. The pauses? She said, the pauses. Add them on the first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. Now, I was frustrated and said, how can eight notes with random pauses be the best news in the world? Then I got up, walked away, and went outside. Frankly, I didn't care what she was talking about. I didn't like playing the piano anyway. Well, years later, my mama got sick and passed away. As I was thinking about her, I remembered what she told me about the piano. Not only that, I still remember the notes she told me to pause. The first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. So I sat down at her piano and played the scale with the pauses. And that's when I realized the good news she was talking about. good news. And that's one of the gifts that Jesus does give the believer, joy. But there's even a greater gift that Jesus gives the believer, and that's what I want to look at this morning. But we have a little text to go through before we get to that gift. So if you have your owner's manual, your Bible, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. Like I said, it's always good to mark it up, starting at verse 1. If not, we have it up on the screen. Paul starts out like this, when I think of all this, he's referring, of course, back to chapter 2, and the this would be the incredible plan of God, the scope of God's plan, and the incredible grace that he has bestowed on people and believers. And then Paul says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. So Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter. He was being persecuted because of Jesus Christ. That may very well happen to many of us here. He said, assuming by the way that you know God gave me a special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. That grace, by the way, is the good news. You know what good news is? What is the good news? The good news is that Jesus Christ has come. That's what Christmas is about. He has come. We're going to see that he died on the cross for our sins so that we don't have to live in guilt and condemnation. And he can set you free, truly free indeed. And so that is the good news. And he said, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations. That means he's speaking about those that lived during the Old Testament times. But now by his spirit, 
He has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And here's the plan. Here's God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news that I just spoke to you about share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both become part, are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promised blessings because they belong to Christ. Paul further explains this in Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 26. Watch what he says here in verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Did you know that there's only two kinds of people in this world? There are those who are children of this world, and really their spiritual father is Satan. And then there are those who are the children of God because they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So you're either a child of the world or you are a child of God because you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. You know, maybe some of you here this morning need to make changes in your life. Maybe you're struggling with sin and addiction, strongholds. Maybe it's tearing your relationships apart, and you need to have change in your life. What Paul is saying here is when you come to Christ, Christ has real power, and he can change you. He can change you. He can change me, and there's much hope. In that, and I pray if you don't know Christ, you will by the end of this morning. And then he says this there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or free man, for you are all one in Christ. I love that. Do you know when you're in Christ, there's no white or black? We're being torn apart in this country by racism, black and white. There's no rich and poor. There's none of that. At the cross of Christ, Skip put it up. At the cross of Jesus Christ, you see a bloodied Christ. There he is. And when you come to the cross, the only people at the cross of Jesus Christ are sinners who have been saved by grace. And now they're children of God. And we're all equal. We're all equal. At the, it's an even playing field on the cross. Isn't that spectacular? And that's the beauty of the church. There's no one great and no one small. We're all children of God. Sinners saved by grace. Paul goes on. So that's kind of a review. Then Paul goes on. So that's a quick review. And he says this in verses 7 through 9. Skip, can you put it up on the screen? He says this, By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen, Paul says, to explain to everyone in particular the Gentiles, this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Now, when you see the word mystery, Greek word mysterion, it doesn't mean something spooky, something mystical like, ooh, ooh, doesn't mean that. It means something that was previously hidden in the Old Testament. So far in the book of Ephesians, we've seen two mysteries. We first saw in chapter 1 the mystery of God's plan. And if you missed that message, uh, I thank Ron. You can get it on a podcast. You can get it online. Just go to our website, and you see the mystery of God's plan. We now know and understand as believers what the plan of God is for human history. And the second mystery we just saw is that now we Gentiles... We Gentiles can be included in the family of God. We can become part of the eternal family where God is our Papa. Marvelous, marvelous news. Now, what I like is Paul says that he was given 
the privilege of sharing this good news. He was given the privilege, in particular, of bringing the good news, these mysteries that we just talked about, to the Gentiles. And uh, the question is, was Paul special? And if you look at verse 9, the answer is no. Paul, in fact, says he's the least deserving of all God's people. Hyperbole on Paul's part? I don't think so. Listen to this now. Do you know that the equivalent to the Apostle Paul, who was previously known as Saul of Tarsus, is Isis? Skip, can you put up the picture? There you see the Malik family, husband and wife. Of course, they made news, sadly, two weeks ago. Islamic terrorists, and they, in cold blood, murdered 14 people. Many, many were wounded. I would like to tell you that's going to be the end of the matter, but we would be silly to believe that. I told you many, many months ago when we looked at the book of Revelation that ISIS is coming our way, and they are coming our way. And uh, we think ISIS is brutal, and ISIS is, in fact, brutal. But do you realize that before the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul, he was known as Saul of Tarsus? And Saul of Tarsus, he rounded up Christians. He rounded them up by the hundreds, and he had them stoned. Skip, put up the picture. He not only, and it's one of the most horrible ways, by the way, you can die. He not only had them stoned, he had them crucified. Skip, can you put up that picture? That's another horrible way to die. This is what Paul did. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. He was the most hated and feared man in all of Israel. And in fact, as long as Saul was on the rampage, no Christian was safe. And you know what I find Uh, absolutely amazing is that God showed incredible grace to the Apostle Paul. He not only pursued Paul, he forgave Paul. I mean, we think ISIS is horrible, and they are, and what they're doing is horrible. But Paul was far worse. He was far worse, far more brutal. And God not only pursues him, he pours out grace on Paul. He forgives Paul of his sin, but he doesn't stop there. Then he makes Paul, turn Saul into the apostle. Paul makes him one of his apostles, one of the 12. It's the highest office in the church. Does Paul deserve to be an apostle? No, he didn't deserve to be an apostle at all. It was totally and solely by the grace of God. God's unmerited favor in your life. And that ought to be a great encouragement to you. I don't care what you've done. You couldn't have possibly been as bad as Paul. You just couldn't have been. You couldn't have been as bad as Saul of Tarsus. And so whatever you've done is forgivable by the blood of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham. Skip, can you put up his picture? You know, Billy Graham, uh, he's 95 now. Probably a picture in the 60s. Billy Graham has probably preached to more people than anyone on planet Earth. He's probably seen more people come to Jesus Christ than anyone on planet Earth. Why Billy Graham? Is Billy Graham special? You know, I remember when I first got saved, when I first came to Jesus Christ. uh, I was in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, the closest church to Tucson, uh, to the University of Arizona, was uh, First Southern Baptist Church. And the pastor was Ron Hart, and he was a fiery preacher. And I remember I was with him, and he was discipling me, sort of, tutoring, mentoring me. 
And one day he revealed to me, he said, you know, Frank, I always wanted to be Billy Graham. I always wanted to preach to thousands of people. I wanted to say, the buses will hold free for you in the upper decks. You come on down as just as I am as plain. And he said, you know, and he wasn't, he wasn't being boastful. He said, you know, I even think I would, I'm a better preacher than Billy Graham. Why was I not Billy Graham? And then he said to me, one day the Lord gave him the answer. And you know what the answer was? Because I made you Ron Hart. Now, that doesn't sound brilliant, but it actually is brilliant. He said, I made you to be Ron Hart. I don't need another Billy Graham. I need another Ron Hart. Now, listen to me what I'm going to say. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist has just baptized Jesus. He's just launched his ministry. And... uh, after John baptizes Jesus, now remember, John's the big thing. I mean, he's the going, blowing thing. If you want to be on the in church, you're, you're with John the Baptist. The Baptist baptizes Jesus, and suddenly Jesus's, John's followers are following Jesus. Now, that would be a real blow to the average preacher, real blow to the ego. I mean, think about this. John the Baptist launches Jesus, and Jesus steals his sheep. How does that work? In fact, one of John's disciples asked John about this. He said, John... Do you see this? This guy's stealing your people. He's stealing your sheep. Listen to what John, though, says very carefully. John chapter 3 and verse 27. John replied, no one. Now watch this. Now this is important. Believer, unbeliever. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. Do you realize that whatever you have, I don't care whether you're a believer. You may not believe this, but whatever you have actually is given to you by heaven or it's allowed by heaven above, you know. So many and so often, I have seen people, including myself, struggle with envy. You ever struggle with envy? You ever struggle with anger and bitterness? And You see, someone else has a greater ministry than you. Why is it? Or you see, someone has a better job than you. Or someone has more money than you. Or someone has more material possessions than you. Or someone has a better spouse than you. Or a better relationship than you. And you're wondering why. Please listen very carefully again to John the Baptist's words. He says, nothing you have, you receive nothing unless it is given to you by God from heaven above. You know, you have to ask yourself the question. I have to ask myself the question, why do I want what I want? Why do you want what you want? Do you want it for you? Your glory? Your advancement? Your pleasure? Or do you really want it for God's glory and God's advancement of his kingdom? Why do you want what you want? You know, John said, no one can receive anything unless it is given to them from God above. No one can be given anything. You know, God called John the Baptist to be Jesus's forerunner. How many think that's a great ministry? Just raise your hands. Come on, don't be bashful. Either you do or you don't. How many think that John the Baptist had a great ministry of being Jesus' forerunner? Just raise your hand. Uh, High, raise them high. Okay, we're getting a little bolder here. All right. Do you realize that, you know, John spent 10 years in the wilderness, the Judean wilderness. That would be like being uh, in the Mojave Desert for 10 years. And he ate, you know what he ate? You know what his diet was? Locusts and wild honey. Woo! And then he had a modified Tarzan outfit to wear. (laughs) Camel's hair was really itchy. Ten years he spends in the wilderness with that. 
Then he's got a nine month, he comes suddenly out of the wilderness. There he is, he's in the Jordan River and he's preaching a nine month ministry. I mean, he's making tracks, he's making smoke. I mean, people are coming in droves. Culmination of the ministry, Jesus comes, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John baptizes him. He launches his ministry. And you know what happens to John after that? He's arrested. Herod Antipas arrests him. And by the way, he puts him in a jail cell. It's not like our jail where you got television. This guy's in a dark, dank, stinky prison where there's mice, rats, urine, and feces. Spends two years there. And then after two years, Herod puts air between his head and his shoulders. Now, how many would like to have John's ministry? You see... Let me tell you, God called John to what he called John to. And by the way, when he calls you to it, he will give you the grace to carry it out. Listen to me. If he calls you to something, he will give you the grace to carry it out. You know, and it's very interesting. Just a few verses later in John chapter 3, John says this, the Baptist. He says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Hear me on this now. Whatever you have, God has given it to you to exalt Jesus Christ and to advance his kingdom, not to advance yourself. Whatever you have, I want you to think, because you're going to give stewardship to this when you die and you stand before Jesus. So whatever you have, God has given it to you, not to advance yourself or exalt your kingdom, but to advance Jesus and to exalt Jesus. You know, it's interesting in Matthew in chapter 20, and we don't have time this morning, but you see the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, the gist of the parable is this, faithfulness. If you are faithful to what God has given you, your reward will be every bit as great as John the Baptist. Did you know that? You see, in America, we're so impressed with size. We're so impressed with numbers. We're so impressed with success. Do you know what impresses God? Faithfulness. Your job is every bit as important as John's. Remember, he created you to be you, and you need to be the full you that God called you to, and what he's going to ask you to do is to be faithful because you are an important piece of the puzzle. God doesn't give trashy, second-rate jobs. You, as a believer, have a very important function, and he wants you to be faithful. No matter if you think it's rinky-dink, it doesn't matter. God says it's important, and he's given it to you from heaven above, and he's asking you, and he's asking me to be faithful. All right, the Apostle Paul moves on. we got to go very quickly. Verses 10 and 11. Skip, can you put those up? Verses 10 and 11. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church, to, this is incredible, to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, these verses are cryptic. Do you know what these authorities and rulers are? They're angels. I want you to think about it. They are angels, good angels, bad angels, evil angels. Do you realize that angels learn from us? The apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. Skip, put it up real quick. 
They were told that their messages speaking to the prophets and the apostles were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to the apostles sent from heaven. It is also wonderful. Now watch this, that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Do you realize right now we're sitting here? Do you realize angels are watching us? Angels are watching us. They learn from us. And they learn about God from us. And you know what the greatest lesson they learn? Grace. Grace. Do you realize that when Lucifer, Satan, the mighty cherub, along with one-third of the angels fell, instantaneously Satan and those angels were judged. Skip, can you put the picture up? Instantaneously they were judged. They were thrown out of heaven, no grace, No chance of redemption for Satan and the fallen angels. You know, a lot of people have wondered, why is this? Why is Satan, why was Satan given no opportunity, no grace? Why were these angels who fell with him given no grace? I wondered about it myself. And then I remember when I was in seminary and a professor said this. He goes, we were speaking about this very topic, angelology, systematic theology. And he said, you know, The reality is, gentlemen, none of us really knows the answer for sure as to that question because the scriptures doesn't reveal it. But he said, I want you to think about this just for a moment. He said, think about this. Satan, Lucifer, which means light bear. He was the highest cherub, probably higher than Michael the archangel. Around the, around the throne of God itself. And so Satan sees, and these angels see, they see the incredible, glorious light of God. They experience the awesome goodness of God, the infinite goodness of God. They experience his incredible love. And one day, Satan, Lucifer, and one-third of the angels say, God, we don't want you. We do not want you. And God had no choice, the professor said. What was he going to do? He had to honor their choice. And he banished them from heaven. He created hell. Do you know, realize that hell was created for the angels first, the fallen angels? He was just granting them their wish, their choice. Hell is where God is not. And they said, we don't want you. Now think of Adam and Eve for a moment. Do you realize that no human being has ever seen God in all of his glory? No human being has ever seen God in all of his glory. Even Adam and Eve didn't. In Genesis 3, it says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, but we call that a Christophany. That was a veiled Christ. They didn't see him in his full glory. And just for the record, Adam and Eve never rejected God. Adam and Eve were deceived. There's a difference. They were deceived. They actually believed that they could become like God. And you know what? God did something in Genesis chapter 3 that just absolutely amazed the angelic realm. Watch this. Skip, put it up. Then the man, this is after Adam and Eve had fallen and and bit into the fruit. And it says, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. That's an Incredible picture of grace, you know why? Because it's saying that God slew a ram, made clothing for them, but he shed blood for them. 
Do you realize that in God's justice system, one sin requires blood? One sin. And his, by the way, he's the absolute of the universe. He determines what's right and wrong. One sin in his justice system requires blood. And do you realize throughout the Old Testament, you see a slaughter of animal after animal after animal after animal for all of these sins that people are doing. But do you realize that none of that blood, it was the blood of animals, could ultimately atone, pay for the sin of a, hu- a human being. You know why? Because it requires human blood. And so you and I were ultimately really destined for hell. All of that blood in the Old Testament was foreshadowed the ultimate sacrifice that God would accept. And here's the ultimate sacrifice. Skip, put it up. He's going to put it up. Well, it's the picture of the cross. It's the picture of Jesus Christ. The picture, there it is. Jesus Christ, God himself, became a human He was a perfect human being. He was the God-man. And his blood was acceptable to pay for your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin and my sin. Do you realize that on Good Friday, the angelic realm, no, they're watching this. They are horrified. They are absolutely horrified that God in the person of Jesus Christ would allow himself. By the way, no Roman soldiers could put him there. He could have knocked them all down like bowling pins. He did. He allowed himself to be nailed to that cross. That blood is rolling down, paying for our sins. And the angelic realm is horrified. They can't believe it. They are shocked as they're watching this because they've never experienced that grace. But God was showing grace. Don't pass this up. He was showing grace to every single person who would receive it. No angels. No angels. Jesus didn't die for the angels. He died for you, 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 and me. That's grace. Now I want to end with this. I want to share the gift. This is a great gift in itself. And this this gift that Jesus wants to give you hitchhikes on it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. So that you can just take this as kind of the conclusion and the challenge. It says this, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. The king of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, you can come into his presence. Now watch this. I I was trying to figure out, how can I give you a feel for this? This It's the only thing I could come up with. The year was 1863 and the civil war was raging. Late In 1863, a turkey was delivered to the White House. And Tad Lincoln, who was 10 years old at the time, son of the president, he liked the turkey. And the turkey began following him all around the White House. They actually had animals in the White House. Did you know that back then? So Tom, you know, Jack Turkey, he's just following Tad all around, you know, the yard. He's following around in the White House. In fact, he names him Jack. He gave him a name. One day, though, Tad got some bad news. Jack was going to be executed. He was going to become Christmas dinner. Jack was, or or, or Tad was absolutely horrified. As soon as he heard the news, he ran up into the White House. And at the time, President Lincoln was holding a high cabinet level cabinet meeting. The door, in fact, to the meeting was being guarded by two Union soldiers. And they were given explicit instructions No one, no one is to bother the president during this meeting in the White House with his cabinet. 
Tad comes running up. He's got tears crying down. I mean, they're, they're just coming down his face. And he says, I need to see my papa. I need to see the president of the United States. And these two soldiers, without flinching, can you imagine this? Open the door, and in comes Tad. Okay, here, here are, I mean, these, these are the most powerful men in the United States. And here comes this 10-year-old kid. He comes running in, and he says, Papa, you can't do it. <laughs> what? You can't kill Jack. It's, a, it's an evil, wicked thing you're going to do. Jack is a good turkey. I don't want him killed. Now, this, hey, this, is, a true, you can, this is a true story. And it is said, a hush fell over the room. Mr. Lincoln, President Lincoln, paused. He took out a sheet of paper. He pulled out a pen. And you know what he wrote on it? Spare Jack's life. He gave Jack the turkey a pardon. (laughs) Have you ever wondered why all the presidents since then have pardoned a turkey at, at Thanksgiving time? It started there. That's where it started. The tradition started from. Now, here's what I want you to catch, though. President Lincoln gave explicit instructions that no one was to bother him. No one was to have access to that room. No one. And as Paul Harvey said, but here's the rest of the story. He did give one caveat to that. He said, anytime any one of my children need me. Now, all the White House staff knew this. Anytime, anytime one of my children need me, you are to give them immediate access to me. And do you realize that's what Jesus Christ has given each one of us? You see, if you've received that grace, um, if you've come to the cross and you've recognized that Jesus died for your sins, you're not only forgiven, you've not only become a child of God, but because you're a child of God, you now, at any time you want, have direct access to the throne room of the living God, of the King of kings and the Lord of... And it's a shame we don't... I mean, literally, Papa, the moment you come running in there, he's all ears for you. You can't believe the incredible gift we have and we don't realize it. And I pray this Christmas you will really begin to use that gift. Father... How amazing we don't even realize. How amazing is the grace that we have been shown. Even angels weren't shown this kind of grace. Some of us need a second, we need a third, we need a fourth, we need a fifth. There's grace, there is grace there because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray if anyone's under condemnation, guilt just destroys. Guilt just destroys. They would come today and first receive the most incredible gift, which is the grace that can cleanse them of their sins, bring them into the family of God, and make them a child of God. But now, for we who are children, we've been lied to and we think, oh, Papa doesn't care about That's not true. He's given all the angels explicit instructions that anytime one of his children need them, they're to have immediate access. And the blood of Jesus ushers us right through, right through, right through the veil. What an incredible gift that is. And I pray 
that you will just make it so real to us, so real to us now. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.